better luck next time. Season 2, Episode 3 of the Better Luck Podcast. I'm your host, Timothy Young. Today, we have a very special episode about youth justice and public education in Mississippi. And we have an even more special guest, Monica Atkins, who serves as the co-executive director for the Climate Justice Alliance. Monica, if you want to say hey and give us a little more information about you. What's good, everybody? Yes, Monica Atkins, um, you know, located here in Mississippi, in the great state of Mississippi, and yeah, happy to be here with y'all. As uh, Tim just said, you know, I'm the co-executive director for the Climate Justice Alliance. And, you know, I've done a lot of uh, work here across the state. So very excited to be with you all and just uh, to share uh, about myself and my work. Perfect. So I want to let you know, Monica, this is a safe space. This is a space for us to just talk and be freely. So you can speak however you want, talk about it however you want. But the first question I just wanted to ask, because everyone is probably dying to know, is how did you get involved with community organizing and civic engagement work? Oh, man, that comes from, you know, just I think my my own like life story and journey. Um, You know, these were things I didn't necessarily get in school but you know at a young age my mom put my sisters and I in this um it was a college prep program called Upper Bound so I'm you know living in Mississippi uh originally I'm from from Chicago and so grew up there you know around a lot of um you know radical movement history itself and so Upper Bound you know gave me a lot of experiences to one be able to even travel you know outside of Chicago um, but also just introduced us to, you know, cultural um, cultural practice and, and people who were in the arts that also were part of movement. And so that I would say those experiences throughout my high school years really solidified for me that I wanted to do organize and be an organizer. I didn't even know really what to, to call it, but, you know, seeing some of the greats, you know, like Fannie Lou, um, Harold Washington, you know, folks from the Black Renaissance movement uh, really inspired and motivated me to also use, you know, also growing up as an artist, you know, in an, our neighborhood, you know, you always had like the cool people that would be freestyling uh, on the way to school or like in lunch, but they really grew into appreciating, um, you know, poetry, you know, and, and understanding the connection from, you know, from poetry, from rap to poetry. Um, and so a lot of those events that we went to or were introduced to workshops were with, you know, different movement people who were also artists. So I would say that sparked, sparked my interest um, and really just engaging with like organizing and understanding what it's about. Um, you know, moved to Mississippi, uh, I want to say in two, 2007. Um, so after I graduated with 17 years old and you know, knew I wanted to come to Mississippi, not really, feel, really felt called like here spiritually, but not even knowing I had roots in Yazoo City um, until very recently, but definitely felt called here learning about, you know, all those connections to um, Mississippi, to Chicago, as far as struggle and the ways that, you know, artists that were part of the Black Renaissance movement in Chicago used their art to, to talk about the struggles in the South um, especially and just feeling like, yeah, Mississippi was the place that I was supposed to be. Um, 
where I'm supposed to physically be to do do the work that you know my hands have been assigned to do. So that's kind of how I got into community organizing. And then after graduating from college, I started you know working with United Auto Workers um, and organizing youth across different college campuses in Mississippi, but then outside of Mississippi, across the South, Tennessee, uh, we went to Louisiana, um, also in, in D.C. and Chicago, so just in Florida. So we, you know, really expanded this, this um, coalition of youth called the Mississippi Student Justice Alliance that, w- you know, we're looking at, you know, talking about issues of like workers' rights. Uh, we hosted like a conference called the, you know, I Am a Man Conference to commemorate the Memphis Sanitation Worker Strike. And so that was one of our big conferences, like first, one of the big, first big conferences that I uh, helped to organize where we even brought some of those sanitation workers that were still living, um, you know, to Mississippi to have conversations with, you know, uh, workers in, at the Nissan, Canton, the Canton, uh, Mississippi Nissan plant uh, where workers were organizing. So that work that we were doing to, galvanized youth and, and community around a fair election for Nissan workers kind of was my first like real official, I guess you would say, getting paid to do organizing <laughs> um, work. And so, yeah, then eventually moving on into more union organizing, um, you know, Mississippi being a rights to work state, you know, these, uh, you know, I actually went into thinking about being a, a teacher um, at one point, so started subbing and then found out, you know, some of the issues that teachers face on a day-to-day basis, like not being able to get a lunch break or even a break to go to the bathroom sometimes, the health and safety issues that were in some of the schools as well um, with like mold and how teachers and students were being impacted by that in their physical health. So started working with the American Federation of Teachers, the Jackson local um, here and you know, again, just kept organizing, bringing, you know, union, union members together. So still, you know, keeping my connection to the United Auto Workers and the Nissan workers that were organizing and bringing the issues together as, you know, some of them, uh, some of the, like, the factory workers' wives and husbands, you know, were in that factory and some of them were teachers as well. So, you know, there was definitely connection there. Um and then later transitioned to working with the United, uh, no, with the Mississippi Alliance for State and Government Employees, which is through the Communication Workers of America. And so that, you know, in that work, I also just traveled across the state, you know, all 82 counties of, of Mississippi um, and, you know, organizing workers at different state facilities from, you know, prisons to mental health facilities, um, anywhere that there were state and government employees. And so, you know, my work began to move into really wanting to liberate um, workers, you know, and make sure that their, like the, the, the visions and their like messaging was really coming, coming forth um, as we were like developing campaigns and communicating with community about the issues that workers face. Um, and so also at the time, you know, there was an organization called Cooperation Jackson had just come together in about 2013. And so we began, um, you know, doing events with the other worker unions. Um, So, you know, with the United Auto Workers, the other, the American Federation of Teachers and um, 
the state and government employees bringing them together to talk about starting a union cooperative. Um, and we started doing that through, you know, recognizing um, May Day, which is International Workers Day. And so, um, you know, that's kind of how some of my work transitioned over to climate and environmental justice, just kind of connecting the issues like from workplace to a person's physical environment and how we really build um, a solidarity economy for, you know, workers and community where, you know, we don't have to rely on our jobs or even the government to take care of our needs, but we meet our own needs, you know, with um, the resources that we have, which is our physical labor and the things that we can uh, physically, you know, do for ourselves, whether that's planting, you know, growing our own food, governing our own communities. And so, you know, kind of led me into doing, you know, this climate and environmental justice work with the Climate Justice Alliance, um, you know, starting organizing the Southeast region. And like, even now, just kind of been really in the weeds of CJA with the organizing um, of grassroots across uh, the United States and even into Puerto Rico and Guam. Um, and so now, yeah, in 2020, um, have been officially named the co one of the co-executive directors for the Climate Justice Alliance as we have moved into a more like collective uh, model. So there's three co-executive directors and I'll be, um, yeah, I'm one of three. So that's just a little bit, maybe a little much about my work um, and how I kind of got to the place that I am now. But yeah, I just hope that, that that's helpful and enlightening. That was absolutely perfect. Like, <laughs> I love that you touched on everything that I was. So, like, I don't even have to, like, open them up. <laughs> but I definitely <laughs> first start with um, how do you balance, you know, your role as co-executive director um, with the Climate Justice Alliance and, like, your continued role with um, Cooperation Jackson? I feel like a lot of this episode is also just kind of talking to the youth about what it is to organize and what it takes to do so. So I would love to know, you know, a lot of the good and the bad. And this is definitely a free space to brag on yourself. This is definitely um, a time to also give, you know, the ugly parts of organizing because there definitely are some that come with it. So I'm all ears. Absolutely. You know, one piece I didn't, I was like feeling like I was talking too much for a hot second. But, you know, like you said, the, the with organizing, they're so... Um, it's demanding, you know, it's demanding on time. It's challenging because you're really looking to, to you know, make solutions, um, create solutions with other people um, that addresses more than, you know, the need of one, but really looking out for uh, multiple, you know, a, a, a group of people and making the most impact for the most amount of people. Um, and that just takes time to build relationships as well and like um, get to know people. I know that, you know, from, each region that that also looks differently. And one thing that I did learn from, you know, I've been in Mississippi now, like I said, since 2002, 2007. Um, and so it was, you know, I was very, very excited to like learn about the culture here. And it was a, a little different for me. Um, you know, there was like a little bit of a slower pace, but in a way that felt really satisfying, which obviously kept me here. Um, in Mississippi, but you know the 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 way that folks greeted you is like by breaking bread with you, you know, and um, like sitting down and having those conversations um, and really like orienting to a person and who they are, their experiences, as well as um, you know just their experiences, their journeys, 
and like the knowledge that they have to offer. And so doing that, um, I spent a lot of time doing that with elders in the communities that I was working with, as well as like, you know, the the younger folks who may have been um, in the field and trying to create intentional spaces where those, you know, two groups of people where it was like intergenerational um, as we were building out strategy. Um, you know, one of the other things that I did in organizing with you, I always kind of get, you know, what is uh, your calling? You know, your for, for me, organizing has been as like what I'm called to. Um, and youth organizing, you know, I feel like is definitely, definitely like one of the um, things that got me started with organizing as well. Um, like I mentioned, my work with the United Auto Workers, you know, we did a lot of engagement with, uh, you know, with youth and community groups. And from that, you know, also, you know, created like this youth con- congress when we were doing um, Freedom Summer and just commemorating uh, that work in that time. And so from there, even spawned like these uh, cultural spaces where youth are leading, which, you know, is something called our poetry and justice. Um, and so that's organically led by youth every year. We actually are in our 11th year of uh, doing our poetry and justice. And you know, have been working with youth, youth to organize that as well. And so, yeah, there's a lot of challenges with organizing, but, and a lot of great rewarding things about organizing. It's like seeing people arrive to the place that they want to be or like get the, the, the goal or get the win that they, um, you know, are hoping to see. And whether that's like organizing a campaign uh, with people in the community or even organizing with youth, like a cultural event, um, you know, those things matter to really center the people who are most impacted and the ones like who have the most to say. Um, and so in some of the rewarding things is like being able to see folks lead things and like overcome fear, um, you know, overcome fear. Sometimes organizing can be, in, you know, uh, scary thinking about organizing in the South, especially in some of the like racial tensions that you have to address and get through too to like address the um or really get to the goal um you know there's much much work that we still have to do um here in Mississippi but I feel like there um you know I definitely had there's definitely been some rewarding uh, points and then there's also just challenges of like where our society is and like the vision that people who are most impacted um the vision that they have and like really just staying motivated and encouraged towards those, uh, those goals. So, yeah, I would say like, so there's so, so much to say that I feel like I'm, um, you know, I'm like, I feel like I'm missing something, but <laughs> for me, organizing is, yeah, the relationships are like so key, um, to keeping like the goal, goal uh, the, the goal in mind, because it's, it's almost like you can't, you know, sometimes it may take like 10 years or more to really get to that goal. But as long as folks are building and feel empowered as well, that's where, you know, you see the most victories. 
Definitely. Again, I, I don't know if you're like looking at the paper that I'm looking at, but you've literally been on topic for my questions. Because <laughs> my next I'm question so was <laughs> you're doing perfect. <laughs> uh, my next question was actually about the um, art, poetry and justice slam. So a lot of times when it comes to organizing the youth here, we have a problem with increasing passion. It's, a, it's really hard to retain um, volunteers. So when you said that you've been doing it for 11 years, I definitely wanted to know, you know, how do you retain and increase that passion with youth? Well, for one thing, you know, I think it's very important. And one thing I, you know, and I have to start with this because it's very important to also see youth as whole people and that they have, you know, just as much going on as, as an adult does. Um, and in some cases, those youth are even lead, leading in their households financially. So resourcing is absolutely key when trying to keep engagement because there are personal circumstances. And you also want to, like, honor people's work and time and energy like you would you wouldn't expect to have someone who's older you know someone who worked for free essentially um but also it comes from a very deep passion of of the youth to have, like have that space and create that space um as well so yeah i would definitely say like keeping folks motivated it's like things that they already want to do and things that they're already passionate about um it has been a little challenging these last uh, the, like last year with COVID and everything, we're going to be doing the uh, the slam virtual this year as well. But, you know, folks are adamant about, you know, last year was our 10th anniversary um, as well. And so we do this in commemoration of um, the uh, Youth Justice Month, Youth Justice Awareness Month, which is you know the month of October. Um, and so all of these, you know, this, the art, poetry, and justice actually got started from some of the work that we were doing, um, you know, having artists kind of going to uh, specifically the Henley Young Detention Center and provide like pro-cultural organ, uh, cultural organizing programming, um, leading workshops, creative workshops, and also just trying to like instill and inspire hope um, and have them present, you know, also in the our poetry and justice slam by, you know, obviously we would have to like, you know, going into the workshops, uh, into the Henley Young Detention Center, we would like, you know, do art workshops where they would create, you know, some visual um, or do, you know, there's a lot of skills and talents there. Um, so we would always make sure that they were included in some kind of way, you know, in the uh, programming, even though they physically couldn't be with us. Um, and so, yeah, just then, like I said, motivate, like keeping folks engaged and motivated have, has really been come from their own, like, you know, interest and like passion about the arts and expression. And so, um, you know, that comes, the slam, usually we usually have visual artists who participate, poets, um, and other times where we've had like uh, physical space, we've had people to dance, we've had people to play piano or other instruments, you know, so it's really, um, you know, open to the youth to organize and like create the space how they, that they see fit. So again, it's just like with the organizing, like mindset of like really having um, the people lift up the narrative that they want and also like run the thing the way they see, um, see fit. But resourcing, definitely the youth is so important and key so that they also know how to operate and function in this working world where a lot of time youth work gets exploited. So I just yeah, definitely had to, to name, you know, name that. And there's like intentional space too for it to be intergenerational because we do have a, 
like community committee, uh, a committee that helps like from the community, but planning more of a support role as well. So, you know, those things matter when keeping folks engaged. I, I definitely have to agree. I think it's um it's crazy to hear just like as I have grown up in Mississippi, more inclusion of visual artists in this space. Um, I, I want to shout out Arika, um, our executive director, for bringing me on as an emerging leader um, after a protest that I uh, ended up throwing two summers ago. And she brought me in and I was kind of uh, overwhelmed because I was like, well, Arika, I don't really know anything about this space. Like, I'm just an artist. Like, exactly how do I even fit into this? And what I appreciate is that she cultivated my interest. It was more so about seeing how I envision myself within it rather than how do I try to make it fit me. And what I appreciate about it is not only did it, you know, instill passion in me to do this work, but it's allowed it to be retained. So um, being the digital content creator here has been a joy for me just because like, I enjoy making art that not only is pushing an important message, but it's the fact that people are actually seeing it. I feel like a big part of engagement is actually including art and activism within it. And it's crazy because that's the panel that I was telling you at, uh, before we started recording that I came from is because I was discussing art and activism and how it's actually so needed in this space just to keep people concentrated on the efforts that we're actually, you know, pushing for. So mm-hmm. I think it's an amazing thing that you're doing with that. I think it's uh, it works because for me, like I, all of my uh, closest friends are recording artists or visual artists or dancers or poets. I'm actually a uh, uh, part of a collective at Jackson State after uh, I've graduated now, but I was a part of Outspoken Arts Collective, so shout out to them. But they're amazing people too, and the collective, what we tend to do as well is just seeing how many more spaces that are art and just what we find pat or what we feel passionate about and how it can actually you know transcend into different spaces. So I, I love that connection. Um, that is so amazing yes, also to hear because I was a part of the first official group after Outspoken was yes, like no. inaugurated on campus. So that's so amazing to hear that you were a part of that. That was definitely a part of my like, uh, you know, art and organizing experience too, definitely. because like, the way we just set up those like open mics would be like open forum, but also yes. you have the art <laughs> lead in the conversation. So yeah, big up to Outspoken. It's crazy. Uh, I was actually Mr. Outspoken in 2019, the year I graduated. But what Outspoken did for just like being um, confident in anything that you're putting out and also making sure that I take real time into making it just because like I, we were part of a group of people that have been like, uh-uh, that's trash. Just throw it away. No, you're better than that. You can you can do more. And I feel like yeah. that's even the competitive space here in the, like a political realm. It's yeah, that was good but how do we get even more people? And I, I just love Outspoken for, you know, putting that in me because it has helped a lot. And I think it's really yeah. important for anybody that does any type of organization or, or organize, I'm sorry, to really, you know, put yourself out there and put something that you're interested in because I feel like the way you have or the way you can be passionate about something, it actually has to interest you. So I think too, Absolutely. what I've also loved about just, you know, your work catalog is that you you've, tended to your interests from jumping from uh, workplace uh, to physical work environment and then swinging all the way back to climate justice. To me, that's moving in your purpose. And it's also making sure that, you know, everything that you're fighting for, you truly do believe in. So one, I want to just take the moment to appreciate you because we need more people that actually care about what they're doing, but then also to make it fresh and new. So like stuff like the Freedom 
Summer March and the Art Poetry and Justice Slam. We, we need stuff like that because that to me is how you truly get passion, especially out of the youth. But what I also love is music and art is intergenerational. Like that's that's where we all yes. connect that. So I definitely absolutely. think it's something that we have to focus on for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And from our like experience too with the art poetry and justice, like one of again, this is where like <laughs> the organizing and the passion because from that, we created a, um, an arts collective and I started with some some youth from um, high school. I believe they were in high school at the, at the time, uh, now in college. And so Deep Seas Art Collective actually spawned from, you know, uh, a fewer fewer of those folks that participated in art, poetry and justice really want to anchor like a project, um, you know, learn really learn deep skills around like um audio production you know writing like the mechanics of writing and so that you know is one of the other things that i did you know amongst like the union organizing that kind of came organically and so that you know that space is really inner intergenerational with like and now they're obviously out of out of college but you know with myself um and a couple of other folks too that were in different, you know, in different kind of age ranges, but that with high school students. And so I think it's really important to create those like intergenerational spaces too, so that there's like reciprocated learning happening. Definitely. Uh, um, another part of like this episode was um, public education in Mississippi. And I remember you were talking earlier about um, CPS and also a little bit about JPS. Could you get more into maybe like a, uh, things that you noticed that were different or things that you wish could be better for uh, either side? Yeah, I would definitely say that, you know, some of the first things that I saw in my own, um, you know, Chicago public schools, you know, when funding is cut, you know, the first things that go are the arts. And for especially Black people, you know, we are people of culture that speak, speaking rhythm, um, and speaking color. And so, you know, that kind of also does something to one's like learning experience and how they make connections outside of like a book, you know, and really put experience to life. And so um, also seeing that some schools, there were some inequities with like art programs and music programs in different schools also in JPS. And then um, I would say like quality of um, of equipment you know, that, that definitely was something I would say I saw across the board with both, but having access to the resources that you need to really learn and re- learn in a way that's not, um, you know, that that's like a cookie cutter type of thing um, and catering to different learning styles in the teaching method. That was, you know, I think I was like almost on the path of doing, uh, like getting my teaching, like becoming an official teacher. And I really switched my mind really quick because I saw how much power the teachers didn't necessarily have over their own curriculums um, and the ways that they know that students might learn. Um, and so that, again, just impacts like the way you see yourself in the world. I would say like for me going to that upper bound program, having access to that upper bound program is ways that I learned about my culture and pride, you know, pride in myself and pride in my culture. Um, and so those, when those things are removed from school, you kind of, you kind of stifle the, the whole person being developed versus like, you know, just kind of looking at testing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So yeah, those are some some really key things. And again, like the health, I would say some health and safety issues as well with the buildings and the maintenance yeah. of it being kept up and how that impacted you know teachers and students and staff. I, I have to agree. Um, I'm a JPS kid. You know, uh, I definitely was able to see a lot of the conditions and it it, it could be a lot better. But what I want to focus on is exactly again, I think it's so weird that you're just like completely always on topic. I really think you're cheating. Um, you mentioned seeing yourself in the world and how important it is, especially in schools. And it's also the pride and culture that you get from it. And I also think that a lot of times cookie cult, cookie cutter. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? cookie cutter education can sometimes mm-hmm. weed out a lot of things that validate people. So I love that you mentioned that because something I definitely wanted to bring up was critical race theory, just because it's, you know, the topic of the nation right now. And I, uh, I recently just did a panel as well about it, but I wanted to mention, you know, how important it is to validate people. I think it's really important to validate Black people. I think it's important because a lot of times when we're trying to get people invested in this work, we don't really address the yes, that this happened and there were long-term effects that followed that didn't really work out for you. And it we have to have those conversations in order to be comfortable discussing real issues or we're going to completely lose people. And I think with the critical race theory being, you know, people wanting to remove it, I feel like it's a really big piece in the way that, you know, Black people have a pride in our culture, but also in other people recognizing how much pride that we have in ourselves and understanding, you know, the reason that we act the way that we do or the reason that, you know, Black people are um, compounded, which is layers of trauma that obstruct real leadership, you know, and that that in turn <laughs> takes away youth justice, you know, it, it takes a toll on people who try to be motivated to do something in their community. So I just want you know, hear your thoughts on it. You know, what do, what do you think about it? Yeah, I definitely feel like, I mean, you're hitting on something that we've been like really talking about, especially with like climate and environmental, climate and environmental justice uh, work that I've been doing and how like that manifests, um, you know, even in, in certain communities and definitely like black and brown communities. Uh, where you see higher pollution, you see higher rates of like asthma and certain like chronic illness. Um, yeah, so that's like that, that's making me think about that. And, you know, some of the, um, you know, other work that I have been doing with, you know, our climate and environmental justice has really been centered around supporting Black leadership um, and supporting the Black organizing work, especially of environmental justice communities who have been leading um, you know, environmental justice for a long time. And sometimes you will see in different movements the, the ways that Black and Brown people are even erased from the history and the contributions to the struggle. And so that is like, yeah, been, you know, we have a Black, a Black caucus through our, um, you know, CJA is a multicultural organization, um, but we do have a Black caucus that, you know, basically creates a safe space for our Black membership and really has grown to like even build out like an organizing agenda of like what we as Black people see happening in our communities and what we know, um, you know, what we know is right and how we want to go about addressing it. And, you know, also, like you said, not really just focusing it in on the traumas as much, but really highlighting our resiliency, the joy, you know, the things that, that make us who we are and the things that like <laughs> we see people try to copy um, as well, even out in the media and the ways that our art and culture has been appropriated and really reclaiming that narrative 
um, and reclaiming, you know, the the, uh, the narrative of Black people, um, just in general, and how we exist and how we are, and not being a monolith. So that's what comes up for me, yeah, around that that question. I have to agree. Um, what I also want to just just say, like, because it just needs to be said, I don't think that Black people or people of color are motivated by loss or by fear. I feel like hope moves us. And I feel like a lot of yes. times the conversation is not on, you know, what we can actually create from a lot of us showing mm-hmm. up. And it's and a lot of times black people aren't interested in who's running or what the side of or, you know, what side they're on. They, they concentrate on the mm-hmm. efforts that they're doing. Like they actually care about what comes out of this. What, how does this affect me? And I feel like the more we actually discuss the real issues, the more we actually pull people into this work. And so that leads me to my other question, because I think something that I read in your uh, bio that really stuck out to me was um, your expansion from seven to 34 active communities. Because um, to me, is just trying to reach out to people. It's, it's harder, you know, of course, because a lot of times, like we said, people kind of talk to us as if we're motivated by this fear or this loss and, and we're motivated by, hey, you don't want this to happen to you again. So I wanted to know your approach to expanding those communities when you did your, uh, our power communities and a little more about just what it took to do that. Yeah, so absolutely. The our power communities is, you know, work that I've been leading with since I joined CJA. You, you know, I, um, actually started as a regional organizer, you know, organizing in the, the Southeast here. Uh, so across several states here. Um, and so really coming into, you know, eventually moving into full-time organizing role that, you know, where I was supporting like the national organizing work across like all of the grassroots communities. So the, the Our Power community started, you know, for what well, in CJA's formation, you know, I want to kind of start there when the Climate Justice Alliance was formed in 2013, you know, wanted to, wanted to center like grassroots and frontline communities as a national formation. Because a lot of, you know, there are national formations that exist already, but those that, you know, focus more, that have more of a national focus. And so, you know, I thought it would be, you know, folks that can help put CJA together, you know, thought it'd be powerful to have to make sure that you know we were in our work as an alliance centering the most impacted. Um, we use a framework called the Just Transition Framework, and you know that's kind of our like analysis of how we move from you know the extractive economy to the regenerative economy. And so you know the current economy that we are in, you know, is an extractive one where exploiting our labor, um, forcing worldview on us as well as like, you know, this type of governance and like keeping wealth and power to a few people. Um, and, you know, also the, you know, the root word of extract, you know what I mean? Like, you know, the way that this, this economy currently exists is like by, you know, just extracting, take as much as, as you possibly can from the earth without allowing it time to recover from itself. And so if you see, you know, as we see all of these like climate disasters, you know, snowing in Mississippi, it's snowing in Texas. Like these are the impacts of the climate climate crisis and uh, impacts of white supremacy and capitalism. So that is what you know our current system is is built on. Um, but the our power communities, you know, are really living examples of 
how to build a regenerative economy and how you transition from, you know, an extractive economy with a lens on, you know, gender, race, um, you know, all, all of these different things that this current economy kind of um, tries to not acknowledge. And so, you know, the Our Power Communities, we started with seven pilot organizations. And, you know, this is my entry point into, um, you know, into Cooperation Jackson, you know, kind of where my work overlaps with Cooperation Jackson and, and CJA. But um, Cooperation Jackson was one of those anchor organizations here in Mississippi. There were seven across a couple of different regions. Um, and so their vision that they built out, you know, together was to see the Our Power communities expand to many more communities. But first, really starting with these seven pilot organizations to really understand what a just transition was and what it wasn't um, and how we not replicate some of the things that we see happening currently, you know, in this economy. Um, and so one of the strategies also was to build out a translocal model. So really doing this kind of across a couple of different regions and, and building power in our winds, um, you know, across a couple of different regions. So last year, you know, we actually had our gathering. Um, it was supposed to be in person, obviously everything took a pause, but folks were still, you know, wanting to, um, you know, see this, the strategy through. And so we, we continue with the gathering um, you know, we also grew our membership, you know, we, we really like, we grew our membership from, um, I don't know exactly the number of people that we had before, but we did grow our like grassroots membership out significantly, um, over the course of CJA's, you know, CJA getting started from 2013, um, you know, we invited the other grassroots formations, really learning about their work um, locally and how they were leading just transitions. And so, you know, all of these folks came together for a virtual gathering last year, self-governed, you know, self-elected, um, you know, and nominated folks to really serve as like a regional convener. So really organizing the, the members across the region to really build out an organizing strategy that would connect across, uh, you know, all of the regions. So there were nine regions that were established. And so each of them, uh, you know, elected like a regional convener to hold that space for them. And then we, um, you know, and affirmed that they wanted to also build out as grassroots membership of the Alliance also, um, you know, agreed to build out this translocal model to really see our, you know, local solutions lifted up through a regional model to inform national uh, policy and, you know, campaigns, uh, build campaigns for the win. So it definitely was a process and took a little bit, took a little bit of time um, as well. But once, you know, kind of the, all of the work that was organizing work that was put in over the course of the years uh, is what really got us to um, building out and really identifying like what regions people wanted to organize in and what the issue areas they wanted to focus on. Um, so that's how we expanded. Um, and like I said, it did take a little bit, quite a bit of time because those relationships really matter. And so, you know, one thing we did see this past year that organizing under COVID just, you know, the relationships, it, it really had a 
impact on our ability to to reach folks um, and really engage folks deeply with you know so much going virtual and so much going Zoom uh, going through Zoom and trying to have these really deep conversations that kind of require you to be face to face um, you know but I think one of the amazing things about our alliance is our members are so um, just hands on and have a lot of different roles that they're leading that we really support. Um, you know, the leadership of our members and like decision making and, you know, the ways that we we organize for it. So that's a, just a little bit <laughs> about how we got to those, um, you know, those 34 plus communities and, it's, you know, continue to expand as well as we expand our uh, grassroots and base building membership. I think something that you said that like, I keep hearing today, and this is how I know that this has to be the future of the work, is that you actually established leaders within communities to go out and, and do it on them, by themselves. I think it's really important that we validate people because I feel like once you are really, what's where I want to say, focused and like actually in tune to what you're doing, it's a lot easier to motivate other people. It's a lot easier when you trust everything that you're doing. Um, I feel like something too that I wanted to just really just say out loud as well is that black issues are everyone's, you know what I'm saying? I feel like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we address ours <laughs> now we're doing it for everybody. And I feel like the urgency is Absolutely. there a lot more so because white urgency has risen and it's, it's a lot Absolutely. different time now. And I feel like, of course, with zoom and the pandemic knocking us a lot of, uh, a lot of our organizing spaces around just because like you said it's it's very impersonal people hate through a screen i hate through a screen but <laughs> it's important to still be pushing this work just because the urgency is still there people are still waiting on Absolutely. us to you know take a break or to sit down and not actually be pushing for this work but i also think by bringing in more people into the fold and using their interest to do so we allow it to not only be a thing of our numbers are here, but it's also to combat burnout, you know, like when I fall, yeah. uh, we, we have a thing in the office called step up, step back. As soon as I step back, step back, somebody needs to be like, ah, I got you. I'll take care of it. I know exactly what we're doing. I know exactly where you were at last. And I just feel like that's really how we push all of this. And I, I think you do an amazing job of that. I'm utterly blessed that you were able to join us. I, I love all of your insight and I really do appreciate you, Monica. Oh, yes, I absolutely have enjoyed my time. Like, I am, I guess, a yielder now, not a youth anymore. But, you know, my <laughs> roots are definitely, <laughs> my roots are definitely a youth organizer. So, um, yeah, I definitely, you know, if there's any opportunities to connect with folks or if there's, um, you know, anyone who's interested in connecting afterwards, I definitely would be happy to do so. Because, yeah, we have to definitely keep working with each other. Um you know, and sharing experiences and opportunities as well, especially in Mississippi. Like this is the ground zero. So if we can get Mississippi popping, the whole world would be rocking. Ooh, I love that. I I, I have to agree to that one. <laughs> um, well, that is the end of our show. I appreciate you all for listening to the end. That has been the Better Luck Podcast. Uh, remember to stay vocal, act local, and it's up to us. Thank you so much, Monica, for joining us. You all have a beautiful rest of your day. Choices that make that affect me and you. Yeah. History repeats itself if you don't correct it. That's why we call him to tell us what's expected. Fool me one time, then it's shame on you. Facts. Try to fool me twice, but now I know what to do. Facts. You win some, you lose some, and that's just fine. But you keep coming back. Better luck next time.
Better luck next time. Better luck next time. <laughs> yeah.